Good morning, welcome to Driving Theology on this 15th day of February 2017. Uh, this is Mike. Uh, I'm going to give you another morning version just so I can <laughs> stop yawning as I'm talking to you on the way home in the evening. Uh, for those of you who are just uh, maybe tuning in for the first time, this is... Uh, been going on more or less weekly. I've missed several weeks, obviously, but uh, since uh, the end of October 2015, uh, so this is well over a year. This is somewhere around getting close to, I think, my 50th uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, we just, uh, I, uh, I say we, it's usually just me. Uh, hopefully it's me and the Holy Spirit as much as I let him in and uh, uh, we, we uh, talk about different things that are happening in the world from a theological uh, standpoint and uh, in fact I use the term theology pretty loosely and that is in the, in the sense that everybody has a theology, everybody has opinions on or thoughts uh, on God nature of the supernatural or the divine, if you will. Uh, and I record as I'm driving. That way I, it, it's all off the cuff purposely. I don't prepare anything. I may have some thoughts at a time, but I don't uh, do research per se for these talks. I probably should, but uh, it's, it's a way for me to know kind of what I know. And then I get some feedback from people who listen and, and tell me if I'm articulating what I think I know or not, or at least that's what I wish I was getting back. Uh, and so it's just, it's, you know, to, to be selfish about it, it's mostly for me, um, because I, I want to, I, I would like to know what it sounds like once it leaves my brain and my heart and comes out my mouth. I want to, I want to know what my Again, using loosely the term theology, but what my theology sounds like uh, outside of myself. So I record these things as I drive. I, every Wednesday I drive to, uh, I have about a 40 minute drive to a place where I work. Uh, and so I drive, I usually record coming or going. I have a few what I call team casts, which is friends join me on a drive and we, we record podcast as we uh, go on a road trip or something like that uh, and usually oftentimes as is the case today I don't even decide what I'm going to talk about before I get in uh, the car and before I even turn on a record uh, I just see what comes up and then I, I, I go with that uh, so I'm just gonna you know start talking through some of the things that I've been reading or or that have been coming to me uh, online especially Facebook uh, I do a lot of uh, Facebooking with uh, other people who are into theology or uh, ecclesiology, if you will. Um, and lately I've been involved with specifically two, two different posts from two different guys that I follow. Uh, and I've been pretty busy the last couple of days posting and and uh, apparently offending some people, but maybe 
it because the what what the uh, poster received uh, by way of comments was not what he expected to. He he thought he was being criticized uh, because he posted something that was a little bit broad without much context. And of course, you know there are people that supported the, the thought, but some people kind of took it apart, uh, which is what happens uh, with metaphors, you know, especially if you don't know the context. Uh, different metaphors work with different people. And so we, on, on that post, we were talking about the metaphor, actually this is a third guy, come to think of it, this is a different guy, this is a third guy, but uh, the metaphor is for uh, church, if you will, or the ecclesia. Um, of course, there are many metaphors, and I've talked about those before. Uh, metaphors that that point to uh, God's eternal purposes on and for the earth. Uh, metaphors that are found in the Bible, and this was a metaphor that I think probably a at least a part of the Christian population is uncomfortable with. Probably a small part, unfortunately. Uh, but he used a metaphor for the church. And the thing, thing is, the, the metaphor was not the, not the uh, important part of that phrase, but the metaphor is what people honed in on. Uh, anyway, what he said was, uh, I'm going to misquote this a little bit. I think I know the, the second part, but... Uh, the, the quote that he quoted a preacher, a preacher that I know very well, he quoted, well, I don't know him personally, I know of his, I've listened to scores of his sermons, let's just say. Uh, anyway, he said, and this little tidbit was, of course, taken out of context, and I quote, Jesus did not come to raise a crowd, or draw a crowd, but to raise an army, end of quote. Jesus did not come to draw a crowd, but to raise an army. It may have been draw crowds. Jesus did not come to draw, to draw crowds, but to raise an army. And in this, uh, in the current political climate, um, the equating of army with religion is somewhat problematic for many people. Now, does the metaphor exist in Bible? In the Bible, I think it does. I think it's there. I think you know when we talk about putting on the full armor of God, that's talking about you know uh, battle and, and uh, there's there's loads of other things. I'm not sure Jesus uses it so much. I'm not sure about that, but I know Paul does. And of course, it's all throughout the Old Testament. If if uh, what you read in the Old Testament, you read metaphorically. Um, so, of course, some people took offense, and then some people took offense at people who were taking offense. And I stood up for one of the people who were was offended, and kind of I didn't stand up for him, but I just explained how you know there are many metaphors, and when you just put one metaphor out there out there with no context. Uh, and without any other metaphors, then, you know, you're just bound to get something you didn't want. You know, not everybody 
sees the church the same way and not everybody's in the same position so so here's my thoughts on the metaphors that we find for uh, for the ecclesia in the in the Bible and I, I I'm gonna say I think ecclesia is a bit of a metaphor for ecclesia as well since it it was a, a, a word that was accepted as kind of you know the 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 people who were a member of a committee uh, in the world already. It was a word that was already in use uh, that became a little bit hijacked that obviously isn't what it was in the, in the Greek world. So I'm going to say ecclesia is a bit of a metaphor. Uh, so some of the metaphors are, of course, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the temple of God, uh, the family of God. Yes, army, the army, an army of God. I, I would say is there. Um, there are lots of lots and lots of metaphors for the ecclesia, but pinning down exactly what the ecclesia, in my opinion, is, is not that easy. Okay, so in, in other words, I don't think the Bible tells us what the ecclesia is as much as gives us several metaphors that when used all together lead us to a deeper understanding of the multifaceted complex entity that is what we call the church or the ecclesia. I'm not a big fan of the word church because it comes from the German uh, or even old English Kirche. in the middle of the road. Um, so, yeah, so we have all these metaphors for church in the Bible. And so this guy had just put up one that God came to raise an army. And, of course, that raised some eyebrows and the ire, I would say, of a few people. Um, but in the course of that post, and many people commented and discussed, I thought it was a wonderful post. And I thought there were a lot of deep things happening, and I, I personally put a lot of time into it, both reading and commenting. But the person who posted it was was just all he wanted was amens, I guess. All he wanted was amens on that, which is fine, you know. I mean, I get it, but who knows why what people want on a post? It's it's not that, you know, especially when you post something short and sweet without any qualifiers. Uh, or without leaving your opinion on it, then, you know, you're going to get all kinds of stuff. So, anyway, um, I thought it was a wonderful post, um, but let's talk about those metaphors. And I, I kind of alluded to it, but I want to go a little bit more deeply into, um, into that, because I think it's very important for us to to understand just you know and I think it's there for us to understand even though it may be in its entirety beyond uh, beyond our comprehension um, to understand 
understand exactly what God is doing in and with the world. Um, but still, I think God wants us to grow into a better understanding of it. Um, because he, I think, he, he is partnering with us in that work. That, that he has called us into that work with him. Uh, which is a high calling indeed. Um, but I don't think that he wants us to be ignorant about what we're getting into or what we are participating in. Um, so one of the comments came up, uh, you know, I talked about the metaphors and, and my, my, my take is, is that the metaphors all point to a, a truth or reality that is slightly out of our reach but that we are meant to grow closer and closer to, that we cannot comprehend exactly what this ecclesia is, uh, because maybe it's beyond our, you know, cognitive abilities in, the, in these fallen bodies with these fallen brains that we have. I don't, I don't know why it would be. But uh, God, through Jesus, does have you know, a purpose in this world. And these, what, what Frank Viola, Viola calls the eternal purposes are four ways, four threads that we find in scripture that point toward uh, that one purpose, I think. That is just, again, slightly out of reach, slightly beyond our comprehension. And yet we're meant to grow closer and closer to that reality and understanding that reality. Uh, and yeah, not just understanding, but participating in uh, that reality. Uh, so, an another person who, who posted said, well, no, I think the metaphors are exactly, they describe exactly what God is doing. That they are, they are, he's still called them metaphors, which I don't understand. But they, they are the exact rep representation of what God wants us to know about about what he's doing. That they're not metaphor. Here's how I interpret what he's saying: that they're not metaphorical. That they're actually to take to be taken more literally. That they all uh, are true. And I think they are true on a sense. But and maybe this is semantics. But I think by the nature of metaphor is that it's untrue. Yet it leads you toward a truth that's beyond the metaphor. That's why we use metaphors. You know, uh, so when I say you, you are a strong tree, obviously that's not as far as the, we're supposed to think about somebody. We're supposed to have this idea that they are uh, consistent, that they endure, uh, or whatever you know about trees. And, and that's my problem with thinking that a metaphor tells us all we need to know about something. The problem is we all have different different concepts of metaphor. For example, when depending on what kind of family I come from, when I hear that the ecclesia is the family of God, well, I had a bad family experience. Ooh, yuck, I don't like family. Uh, therefore, that metaphor is not gonna speak to me the same way that it would uh, from a person who had a loving uh, and 
mutually beneficial relationship with his uh, parents and possibly grandparents, siblings, and who was nurtured well. Uh, however, that person might benefit more from, you know, Jesus came to raise an army, that we are an army of God. They may benefit from that better, you know, who's to say which metaphor will speak more truth to them or bring them closer to the truth. And perhaps that's why we have so many metaphors offered to us um, so that everybody can find uh, a metaphor that speaks directly to their heart and leads them closer to the heart of Jesus. Um, so we have, right, we have all these metaphors. And so, you know, I, I wonder what your take is. You know, do you think that when Paul says that we are the body of Christ, that we are actually the body of Christ? That, you know, or is that a metaphor meant to to teach us um, something about something about the ecclesia, the way, for example, we are supposed to move in coordination uh, and be uh, subject to the head, right? Um, something about unity. Uh, you know, you, you can imagine if you've got uh, one will that, that guides the left part of your brain and one will that guides the right part of your brain, how that the body would become completely ineffective at doing anything. And so the body metaphor uh, teaches us a lot about, uh, well, intimacy, you know, that how, how a person takes care of their own body, uh, as well as, you know, the way that perhaps the church is to function under the headship of Jesus, who is the head. Another metaphor used for Jesus. Uh, so metaphors, right? Um, they're a wonderful thing, but they, they exist because comprehending certain, uh, comprehending certain, um, <laughs> I need a metaphor for the word I can't comprehend, uh, principles or ideas, comprehending certain ideas is just concepts, I guess, is beyond us sometimes, and metaphors help us understand better. But no metaphor if taking to the nth degree, typically holds up, right? No metaphor if taken to the nth degree typically holds up. Uh, and I think that's the case uh, with, with the body of Christ, for example, or with the temple. Let's talk about the temple of God. You know, if, if we are the temple of God and you, and you, and you want to make this metaphor uh, Um, work in every nook and cranny and situation. Well, it's going to be tough because the temple of God uh, was immobile. It was built of lifeless stones, brick by brick. Uh, it did contain the presence of God for a time, but it also kept the presence of God, I suppose, from being everywhere else, if you think about it. Um, and at one point, the, the, the presence of God left the temple. So, yeah, if you want to talk about a dwelling place for God, a place, a place where God comes and, and that is built by Him to contain His presence, 
metaphorically speaking, that has a lot of meaning, uh, especially to certain people who, who grew up with a, a you know building uh, mentality. But other people, it may not speak very well. So uh, I think all metaphors are going to break down at some point. Therefore, they must point to something greater than themselves, uh, not be the exact representation uh, of what they are on the surface. So metaphors are are just beyond. Uh, or just fall short of the reality that they strive. Now you could say, okay, maybe you'll concede that for each metaphor individually, but perhaps all the metaphors together, when understood uh, in their entirety and as a, as a single whole, perhaps they give a correct, exact rep representation of uh, what the ecclesia is. That might be the case. Uh, that, that's quite plausible. Maybe. But again, each of us has such a different reaction to each metaphor uh, that I think the whole that is created will be different for every person. I think. Unless I'm missing something. Um, but... Anyway, it was a really good discussion, and, and most everything I wrote has been deleted, and, and I can't get back, and so actually uh, rehashing it here with you uh, helps me remember some of the thoughts that came to me during that time, and I think the metaphors in the Bible for the kingdom are wonderful. They're great. Uh, well, kingdom is another one um, that some people actually don't like because, it, again, it has kind of an authoritative... Uh, even militaristic kind of tone to it to some people um, but that is the metaphor that John the Baptist Jesus and the Apostles chose to represent what God is doing in the earth the kingdom of heaven is at hand the kingdom of heaven is near uh, if these things have happened the kingdom of heaven is among you uh, the kingdom of heaven has come Right. Uh, our Father who is in heaven, holy be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, uh, kingdom is, uh, is a metaphor that I think we need to take very seriously. I think all of them we should, but it'd be hard to dismiss kingdom because that's that's originally what the gospel was. The gospel is the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Now we've changed it, and I talked about this in another podcast, to the, king, to, to the gospel of salvation. Um, and salvation is certainly included in the gospel of the kingdom, uh, but it's just a part of it. The gospel of the kingdom is, is much bigger. Uh, and I digress. So, anyway, yeah, metaphors. Wonderful. I'd love to hear uh, perhaps some metaphors that, that you've found in Scripture that maybe I haven't mentioned here today. And, I, and there are some, and I think actually, uh, I, I think uh, employer-worker would be another metaphor that uh, seems to exist here and there. You know, a, a master, master-slave is a metaphor that seems to be there. Um, of course, if 
vine and branches is another metaphor. You know, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those are directly metaphorical. Um, there's some similes. The kingdom of heaven is like, right? Similes, I, I think, are also metaphorical. Um, so, yeah, metaphors. Uh, on a side note, my uh, daughter was listening to a song one morning while she was getting ready for school, and perhaps you've heard it, I can't remember the artist who sings it, uh, but it's, it's called You're My Flashlight. And it's a, you know, it's a typical pop song talking about either friendship or romance, I'm not sure exactly which, but, but somebody who is your flashlight uh, helps you in the dark times. Illuminates things for you. You're my flashlight. You, you, you take away my fear. You, you help me understand. You know there are many ways that if I were to say you are, you are my flashlight can be can be taken. But my daughter's a junior high school student, and she was about I don't know 12 or 13 at the time. So I'm I'm taking her to school, and I asked her, you know that song's a metaphor, right? I'm like, do you know what a metaphor is? Now. If, if you don't know, I live in Japan, and my, my wife is Japanese, and my daughters are all bilingual, so they speak English and Japanese, but I was asking her in English, and so please don't think too little of her if she doesn't know the word metaphor in English yet, as we live in Japan. But anyway, I thought it was cute, so I said, do you know what a metaphor is? And she said, metaphors be with you? Which I thought was really funny. I, if you don't know, I love puns and wordplay, and, and I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and she did too. She was she was making she was making uh, a play on the words. But anyway, uh, yeah, I guess that's my prayer for you. Met metaphors uh, be with you, uh, and <laughs> metaphors be with you in in determining uh, more closely, more truly. Uh, just what the purposes of God are uh, for the world and in the world uh, that are uh, progressing and going forward uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Um, I think metaphors bring a lot of life and color and dimension uh, to whatever we use them in. That's, you know, that's why we use them. Um, metaphors are wonderful. Now, on another another post uh, was about the uh, orthodox orthodoxy, the Orthodox Church. Uh, I believe this would be the Russian Orthodox Church. I don't know. I think it's the Russian Russian Orthodoxy. Anyway, Eastern Eastern Orthodox Church. Uh, a friend posted a video of a a a priest. Eastern Orthodox priest in Georgia, not the state, but the country, uh, baptizing babies, apparently on Epiphany, this is how they baptize babies, in the Eastern Orthodox tradition of Georgia. And he was taking the baby, you know, these are, these are infants, by the way, perhaps days or weeks old. 
He would take the baby and baptize just the head by turning the baby upside down and dunking the head in water and then quickly flipping it over and dunking the feet in water. And he repeated this three times really fast. The, the entire process took about five seconds is my guess. Five or six seconds to take the baby, say just a few brief words while dunking the head, the feet, the head, the feet, the head, the feet and then handing the baby back to somebody who has a towel. Of course, the babies are bawling and crying and the priest just seems like he's having a good time. And anyway, it shocked a lot of people on Facebook who had never seen this. It was, it was very shocking. And, you know, of course, people, myself included, joked about it a little bit, but a lot of people were kind of appalled and, and said it, you know, bordered, it was like waterboarding a baby. You know, it was like torture. Uh, and you know a lot of other things were said and, and people who were part of the Eastern Orthodox tradition either defended the rest of Eastern Orthodoxy by saying that this was not typical of Eastern Orthodoxy uh, or uh, they They said it's either not typical of Eastern Orthodoxy uh, or uh, they defended the practice itself saying uh, things like, now this was not every way, this is a few people, uh, but some, some of the people who defended, defended Eastern Orthodoxy by saying things like, uh, it is beyond reproach, uh, which is basically saying it's perfect, that Eastern Orthodoxy is perfect. And they would bolster that by saying it's the only true religion, it's the original church, it's, it's the only true church. Which was pretty shocking because the, the guy who posted it initially is, is wow, completely not uh, into that kind of thinking and would not support that in himself or anybody else. And so it's kind of shocking to see that those people actually followed him. And most likely he's gonna lose some friends over this, uh, which I don't think was intended. But anyway, he, he, he stirred up a, a nest of bees, let's just say, um, in Eastern Orthodoxy. And that, that discussion, which I, I've been following for a couple days now, kind of stirred up some old feelings in me because I grew up in a church who would also say, at least I was taught this as a kid, I'm not saying they do today. I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody today who would who would say that churches of Christ are the only true church. But there was a time when that was pretty commonplace, and that that's what people who were brought up in Churches of Christ believed in and would, would articulate that we are the only true church or the original church. Um, our roots are in, are in the New Testament. We are, we are a New Testament church. And, and so we are the only true church. That we have somehow discovered how to do church right and everybody else is doing it wrong. And therefore, you know, they better fall in line or bad stuff will happen. 
meaning hell and damnation and condemnation and all that stuff. So I grew up in a tradition like that and I do not believe that anymore. And, and I'm not a, a, an active member in any Church of Christ congregations at this moment uh, either. Now I still maintain fellowship with many. I haven't, I haven't been out long. And I still accept all of them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but only as much as I do all people who profess that Jesus is the Son of God. I, I'm willing to accept everyone and accept the idea that I, it's not my job to define who's the church and who isn't. Um, if, people, if people say they believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and you know, I'm willing to say, all right. My brother, my sister. Um, anyway, so yeah, I kind of got a twinge, kind of knot in my stomach, and that that kind of talk uh, is heretical at its core. You know, heresy is really defined as anything that divides the believers, and so when you start. When you start saying who's in and who's out, and especially only my tribe's in, that's, you know, by definition, heresy. Um, now a lot of things we call it heresy or not heresy. Um, but, anyway, uh, and so I, you know, I just wanted to comment that, and I, and I did comment this morning, and we'll see how many comments I get on my comment, but, you know, I said that, you know, there's only one church just as much as there's only one Lord. Uh, and that's what I believe. You know, there's only one church. Um, so to say one, one group, uh, one tradition is the one true church or the original church is kind of silly. Um, you may be a very old tradition and Granted, Eastern Orthodoxy and Catholicism are very old traditions. But a tradition does not a church make. Jesus uh, calls and uh, died for um, and gives new life to and transforms and forgives. His own church. That's that's what he does, right? Uh, Jesus calls. We simply answer. Um, so, yeah, Facebook has had some. Facebook has had some uh, interesting discussions lately, and there are many more. Uh, in fact, there's so many that I, I don't remember them all at this moment. But that was an interesting one, and it'll be good to see how that goes. You know, the other stuff this week that's going on is uh, Trump and the, uh, uh, the resignation of one of his top advisors uh, from a uh, scandal involving Russians and, and improper uh, meetings uh, and perhaps negotiations that went on with the Russians uh, before he was even in the administration, which apparently breaks the law. Um, so... Anyway, that makes a lot of people happy on Facebook, and they think it's the beginning of the end, that 
the entire administration will soon fall. Who knows? We'll see. Um, be that as it may, uh, I don't wish to see anyone fail. Um, unless it's fail to do evil. If that's what Trump is, is wanting to do, then I hope he fails. But I think if, if Trump in his heart really wants to do good, I hope he succeeds. By all means. You know? uh, anyway, the, the Trump White House has been a three-ring circus, to say the least. Um, never senses to uh, entertain shock or terrify, uh, depending on the day. So anyway, I'm about to get to my place of uh, employment this morning on this fine Wednesday afternoon. Wow, what a beautiful day. And I hope the, something that I talked about today uh, speaks to you, uh, and especially the, 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 the idea of the metaphors in scripture that lead us to a closer understanding of the true, the true thing that God is doing in the world and with the world. Uh, may God bless you guys this morning uh, with a good day, a day where you see Him more clearly, more truly. Talk to you guys later.